sent out to proclaim. When a new work of God is going ahead, you can expect opposition, difficulty, problems, confrontation. That's normal. How God will help you through and how long it will take, he will take about it, well, that's another matter. That he will, if we continue in faith and prayer and trust, is a given. There is no advance for the gospel without opposition. Indeed, so clear is this truth that sometimes paradoxically, it's only when an apparent disaster threatens or when the church is suddenly up against confrontation and has to pray its way through that we can be quite sure that we're on the right track. So when I listen to this, these interviews, this is our culture. I don't know, I didn't find out where these people were. I don't know what city we were or what, you know, we're around a university. But this is, this is, this is who we go out to proclaim a message to. Obviously, these people have heard the message. And the majority of these people don't buy the message. And so the, the, the question really is, how do we react when someone gives us that kind of response? I was sad by a lot of the responses. There was a part of me at, at points that was a bit offended it reminded me that I really live in a bubble that where you know, most of the people I'm around do believe in Jesus, and so they don't kind of come across with the edge. I mean, I don't know if you picked up the guy that's he, he's a dead man. I mean, he's saying there's no resurrection. It's a dead man. Whoa. So how do we, how do we go out into a very, a very real world with a message about Jesus with people that have already heard that and don't buy it. That's, that's a little bit different than what we're going to read about with Saul and Barnabas being sent out because they're really going in a, into a culture that by and large people had not yet heard about Jesus. But I think we can still learn. How, how can we be sent out to proclaim the good news of Jesus and his kingdom? We have some new work in 2014, and that's why it really kind of pushes this button. God seems to be saying to us as a community, one of the things that we get to do is we get to invite one other person, just one person this year, come along with me to Jesus. That's it. Each of us, one person, whole year long, come along. The other thing is the opportunity for us as a community to grow more aware of our neighbors and to begin to care for our neighbors better than we ever have. Otto, you want to say a couple of things about that? Because Otto, Cindy are kind of tracking with each other, time spent together with Jesus, and uh, just have a similar... It's good to have you on record. Ooh. Do I have to... Put my hand on your Bible? No, it's just going to be on record. Okay, so, <clears throat> yeah, the idea is that, that kind of what came to me is our church sits in a pretty well-defined neighborhood. We've got a pretty clear neighborhood that we sit in, and and it's a pretty interesting and, and I think, diverse neighborhood. We've got a lot of different kinds of people. We've got some couple of different apartment complexes. We've got the houses over here. Uh, kind of an interesting place where we land. And so the thought occurred to me a while back, well, how many of our neighbors even know we're here? And 
how many of our neighbors care that we're here? And it, I was a little convicted by that question. Uh, you know, I used to live in this neighborhood, and we'd have some of our folks who do live in this neighborhood. And so I thought, well, maybe we ought to get to know our neighbors a little bit. And <clears throat> so not really knowing our neighbors and not really knowing what their needs were, maybe a good place to start is prayer. <laughs> and, uh, and praying, first of all, kind of around the neighborhood, but then meeting our neighbors and praying for our neighbors. And I think maybe in that we might find out what some of the needs of the neighborhood are and see if Jesus wants to work through us to meet any of those needs. And so that's kind of the, the sound bite, but there's more coming, and uh, we're, we're going to do that. Uh, we're just going to start praying for the neighborhood and meeting our neighbors and praying for the neighbors. We know some of them already down at Laurel Plaza. We know some of our neighbors, uh, but there's a, there's a lot more of our neighbors that we don't know. And uh, I bet even the folks that aren't in Laurel Plaza might have some needs in their life. Uh, and, and I'm pretty confident that, that Jesus would love to show up in their life and say, yeah, I can help you with that. So, yeah, that's Thank it. You. Yeah? Okay. Thank you. The, the one question that he left out was, does it make a difference that we exist in this neighborhood? Does it make a difference that a, that a church, people that belong to Jesus are in a city? Do we make a difference for the better <laughs> for people around us? So those, seems that those seem to be the assignments that we have for this year, which that's pretty exciting to get assignments. And so we want to learn. We want to learn from the Bible. How, how, do, how do we go out to proclaim and to care for our neighbors? So Acts chapter 13, verse 4 through 12, is the paragraph to focus on today. Sent off on their new assignment by the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia and caught a ship for Cyprus. The first thing they did when they put in at Salamis was preach, really better proclaim, God's word in the Jewish meeting places. They had John Mark along to help out as needed. They traveled the length of the island and at Paphos came upon a Jewish wizard, a magician, who had worked himself into the confidence of the governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man not easily taken in by charlatans. The wizard's name was Bar-Jesus, He was as crooked as a corkscrew. He was a Jewish false prophet. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul in, wanting to hear God's word firsthand from them. But Dr. Know-it-all, that's the wizard's name in plain English, stirred up a ruckus, trying to divert the governor from becoming a believer. But Saul, now called Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, And looking him straight in the eye, really looking into his soul, said, you bag of wind, you parody of a devil. Why, you stay up nights inventing schemes to cheat people out of God. But now you've come up against God himself. Your game is up. You're about to go blind. No sunlight for you for a good long stretch. He was plunged immediately into a shadowy mist, and he stumbled around begging people to take his hand and show him the way. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, full of enthusiasm over what they were saying about Jesus, the master. Barnabas and and Saul, they had a neighborhood too. 
Now, their neighborhood is different than ours, so it's good to remind us of where they are and who their neighbors were and what the nations are. Where are they on the map? So we're in Antioch, so we're in Syria, and from there they're being sent out. So they go down to Seleucia, that's on the sea coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and they sail across the Mediterranean Sea to the island of Cyprus. Now, the reminder is this is Barnabas' home nation. Barnabas is from Cyprus. And so when Saul and Barnabas arrive on the island, they start visiting synagogues because Barnabas was a priest before he started following Jesus. So he's going back into the synagogues where he served as a priest, but he's going back to proclaim a different message. And they work their way along the coast to Paphos, and that's where they run into the Roman proconsul. So he's, a, he's, a, he's appointed by the Roman emperor, and he's, he's the, over, the government overseer of the Roman Empire of the island. Now, really important is that Saul and Barnabas end up in Cyprus because the Holy Spirit sent them. They didn't decide themselves. You know, it would have been a natural. Barnabas could have said, hey, you know, I'm missing my family. I'm missing my friends. Hey, let's go back to Cyprus because I know a lot of folks there. Well, they didn't strategize that way. And the church in Antioch didn't just sit down and say, well, okay, well, flip a coin. I don't know. Well, let's just go to Cyprus. These people had a relationship as a community with the God that spoke to them. The Holy Spirit set these guys apart for the work that I've called them to, and he sent them out. So the, it's really important for all of us to have the same sense of confidence that as we step into these, this new work of the year, that we know that we know it's, this is not just us dreaming up wild and crazy ideas. It's really the Holy Spirit that's speaking and whispering and guiding as we take these steps together. These two were also sent out to proclaim the word of God. Proclaiming is not the same as preaching. There is a distinction between the two. What proclamation is, it's the language of mission. The proclamation or declaration of a completed happening rather than instruction. Do you remember when Jesus was introducing himself to Andrew and Andrew went to his brother Peter? Do you remember what he said? We have found the Messiah. Come and see. That's a proclamation. We have found the one that the Bible has been telling us about. Come and see. So what, what Barnabas and Saul are doing, they're, they're going to these synagogues and saying, Jesus is the Messiah. And they're giving the same sort of invitation. We want you to come and see. We want, we want to kind of reason with you. We, we want to tell you about this great news. They're, all, they're also focused not upon just Jesus the King, that's what Messiah is, but they're also saying, the kingdom of God is arriving. That's a proclamation. That's a declaration. And it's arriving in a different way than what we thought. They're saying things like, hey, we have discovered animal sacrifice doesn't work anymore with our sins. We've discovered that there is forgiveness, a complete forgiveness of our sins. They're saying things like, Jesus is alive. 
Jesus died. We saw him die on the cross, but he rose from the dead. Those are proclamations. And they proclaim these things. I love this phrase. With the eschatological and dramatic character of the message. What that means, I mean, it's, it really saddens me that eschatology, the doctrine of last things, we've been brought up in the Armageddon generation. And so most of us, when we, we talk about eschatology, we have these visions of the world being blown up. That's not what they're thinking about at all. They're thinking about the end has come in Jesus and the future is bright and beautiful because the God who's setting things right has shown up. And there's a God who wants to set everything right. He wants to perfect his creation. Things have gone horribly wrong on planet Earth among humans. Now God has shown up and he's introducing a new time where things become great. It's it's like the total opposite of what we think of when we think of eschatology. And there's, there's, a, there's, this, there's this drama. They're caught up in the drama of something much bigger than themselves and something much bigger than their theology, something even much bigger than the history of Israel and the Jewish faith. That's their proclamation. We met this person and we haven't recovered yet. We're here to declare Jesus is the king and his kingdom is arriving. Now, when they did that, they faced some opposition. Now, who would have guessed that the opposition that they're going to face in Cyprus is going to come from a Jewish magician and a false prophet? I mean, who in the world would ever... Who would think of that? But... A little bit of study, little research. The mysterious and impressive name of the Israeli God. If you, if you backtrack, remember God reveals himself to humanity and he reveals himself to people. And when he's revealing himself, he's telling people, this is my name. When he did that with Moses, Moses says, hey, you're sending, you, know, you want me to go back and you want me to help deliver your people so... I mean, like, I need a name. (laughs) I mean, you're asking me to do something really big, like I'm going back to Egypt, which is the world power, and you want me to show up in Pharaoh's court and say, uh, God sent me. So what's your your name? And and, and we we don't know. I am who I am. Tell them I am. So there's four consonants. That's that's what we have of the private personal name of God, four consonants. There was never vowels attached to those four consonants. And through history, as the rabbis would read the text, they would never say those four consonants. They would substitute the name Adonai, the Lord, for those four consonants. We, We don't know. So there is a mystery about what is that name. So there was a temptation among the Jews to use that name magically. You heard the guy, oh, Jesus was a magician. So some of the things, the miraculous signs and wonders that were done both in the Old Testament, talking about Moses turning water into blood, 
and then the magicians of Egypt do the same thing. See, there's this, this, this line between magic and the supernatural activity of God. Well, there are some that crossed over and became magicians. Bar-Jesus, that would be confusing. They're proclaiming Jesus, and this guy is the son of Jesus? I think they're, th- wait a minute. That's, co- that's kind of connecting our message with something magical and a false prophet. That's probably not good. So Bar-Jesus, Elemas, he was the possessor and user of supernatural knowledge and ability. He was, he was a man of religious power. There was a power there. And he was somewhat like a house philosopher. So he'd worked his way into the household of the Roman proconsul. So what was he? He was after power. He's at, you know, I want to influence this guy. And he was using magic and kind of folk wisdom to do that. Now, what, what really is the bottom line is he's really opposed to the proclamation of Jesus. And in his soul, he's really in a dark place. That's why when Saul looks at him, and I don't want to just look at anybody because it might like, feel like, oh gosh. <laughs> but see, he's, it's really clear Paul, Saul, we're crossing over now because Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Greek name. And he's now going to the Greek world. And that transition happens in this paragraph. Same, nothing more other than that Greek Hebrew. That's it. But he's full of the Holy Spirit. Where's Susan? There she is. I can look at Susan and she won't feel conviction. <laughs> you know, so Paul meets this guy as he and Barnabas have been invited into the governor's house to tell the story, and he looks at this guy, but he looks with the eyes that the Holy Spirit had given him, as, as a prophet would, and he sees, into his, he sees into his soul. And that's why he says these things. And he really says these things, not as a curse, but he says these things in hopes that this would, would bring an enlightenment, an awakening, that he would be corrected and that he would come to a better place spiritually. But it comes out, wow. So he's looking, you know, you are full of every kind of treachery and wickedness. You're the son of the devil. Whoa! You're the son of the slanderer. You're the enemy of all righteousness. And you're turning away from the straight ways of the Lord. And the bottom line is you're causing others to turn away from the straight way of the Lord. You are standing in the way of this man, this Roman governor, coming to faith in Jesus. Therefore, bam. Paul himself, who had been blinded, remember that, as part of his change, sees this man in a moment, mist and darkness, groping his way. Now, when the Roman governor sees that, he is overwhelmed by the demonstration of the kingdom that's right in his house. And he changes his mind about Jesus. He says, you know, 
I want to follow Jesus that you're proclaiming. And the hope is that Bart Jesus, the son of Jesus, the magician, would be like Saul. He would come back to a place where he could see and really see Jesus. We don't have that story in the Bible. From that history, I think there's some things for us as a community to consider. One, as we step into this new year, and as we step into the new assignments that we're discerning that that the Holy Spirit is assigning to us, we want to be sent out by the Holy Spirit. We, We don't want there to be any kind of group pressure you know, oh, I go, okay, okay, golly, Scott's telling me, every week he's telling me, I got to invite one friend to come with me. Oh, gosh, 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 gosh. No, be relieved of that. What we want is the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us about one person over the course of this year that we would invite to come to Jesus. We're not, not, we're not telling you to invite him to come to a church meeting. We want people to come to know Jesus, not just be church attenders. So could we just kind of do this, just take a moment, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Now, don't panic. Two people earlier heard a name. That's all, that's all, you know, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us the name of a person that you want us to get to know, to invite, to come to know you? No, no pressure. More people didn't hear a name. Don't have to have a guilty conscience. There's nothing wrong in your life. And it may be a really quick name or a really quick picture of a person. But let's just see if the Holy Spirit, again, it doesn't do any good for me just to talk all the time if God doesn't demonstrate among us that He's really at work here. Make sense? Okay. Holy Spirit, we do welcome you. And it is with, with every, every intent that we really want you to be the one that directs us, that guides us, that sends us out. And as we have discerned these two areas that we want to go, we, we, we don't want to just make any kind of assumption. We just we want to invite you to be in charge. And one of the things that we're hoping is that we, we hope that each of us has the opportunity over this year to invite one other person to come along with us in following Jesus. So Holy Spirit, who is that person? Would you speak? Would you give us a name of a friend? Would you give us the name of a stranger? Would you, so, would you show us a picture of a person that we might run into? Would you communicate with us in this moment? Now, if you have a sense that there's a name that just dropped into your head, or there's a picture of a person that you just saw, again, it might have been really quick, like a butterfly landing and and leaving. Would you just say that name out loud? Okay, let's go slow down. Frank? Casey? Jess? Huh? Rico. Kimberly? Okay. 
John? What's that? Joseph. Okay. Now, can I ask everybody that didn't hear, now don't panic. We got a whole year here. You know, don't, again, don't think, oh, relax. This is enough for now to demonstrate to us, I hope, the Holy Spirit's at work here. He's speaking to us. So everybody that heard a name, write it down right now, somewhere, write that name down. Because I've learned this, the times that Jesus speaks to me and I don't write it down, it's easy to forget. Write it down. The Holy Spirit is sending us out to these people at some point. So just start praying and start being sensitive to his leadership. We want to be a community that's sent out. And when he sends us out, as we go out, whether we go into a friend or go into our neighborhood, we're going out to proclaim our king and his kingdom. And I, let me say this as clearly as we can. I, we're not going out to preach. Our generation is tired of our preaching. See, we have gone out with a tone and an attitude that speaks down to people. I'm better than you. I know, God, you don't. You sinner. You're going to hell. I don't find that in the Bible. I don't find Jesus telling people they're going to hell. I see Jesus getting most frustrated with the religious know-it-alls of his day. But as far as the sinners, I see him in the dirt with them, offering them a better way and a better life. You see, when we go out and proclaim, we're saying to people there is a God that loves us because we're humans as well. There's a God that's made a difference in our life and we know he can make a difference in all of our lives as well as the whole planet. We're just going out to proclaim the good news. The good news. It's not good news when you go out and tell somebody they're going to hell. That's not good news. That does not communicate love. That communicates condemnation. If we just go out and tell people what they're doing wrong, what is that? How is that an invitation? Is that, I mean, is, we just listen to the Holy Spirit. Who convicts me of my sin? I mean, when, it, when I really, when I'm in trouble, I'm sinning, who convicts me and, and enough where I change? The Holy Spirit. Why, why don't I respect Him and the people around me? <laughs> we're, we're going out to proclaim a message of hope, of life, of salvation. It's not preaching. And when we do that, we, we can expect opposition. Now, ultimately, the opposition comes from the same one that had barred Jesus under his grip. When Paul said, you son of the devil. Paul was recognizing there is a spiritual force of darkness. There is a Satan. There is the devil behind this. 
And Paul will write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Those that do not believe the proclamation of Jesus and his kingdom do not see what you and I see. And I can't make them see what I see. I can invite them to come with me in hopes that they will see but I'm totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to remove the blindness. I cannot convince anybody, but I can go out and invite them. I can tell them what I see. Makes sense? Last thing, we do want others to enthusiastically believe the proclamation we're delivering and come along with us. I mean, I'm sure that Saul and Barnabas rejoiced that the Roman governor said, yes, I want to follow Jesus with you guys. And he was enthusiastically embracing following Jesus because he saw Jesus and he saw a demonstration of his royal authority over darkness. We get to live this adventure. This story is not just a story in the past. This is about today. We get to be people sent out to our generation with the best message that's ever come to humanity. So let's pray that we would faithfully deliver the message of Jesus and his kingdom to our generation. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to just kind of pray a general prayer for us. But those of you that heard a name, I would love to invite you to come up to our ministry corner, freedom corner, because there's a little word freedom on one of those. And we'll let, can, we, can we pray a little bit uh, for you, uh, just bu- building upon hearing that name? So before you leave today, could we just pray with you uh, one-on-one? That'd be great. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for letting us see your glory, for letting us see that you are God, for letting us see your love, for letting us see that you want to set everything right. Thank you for filling us with hope. Thank you for filling us with the knowledge that there is a God and he's doing something about our crazy world. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you spoke today to several of us. You gave us a name. You're active in our lives. And thank you that you've given us assignments for this year. So Holy Spirit, empower us as a community so that we would bear fruit as we sang in worship, that we would bear fruit that as these seeds that you're planting in us are cast, that there would be fruit. And it would be eternal. And it would be people 
that come to know you and love you and tell the story to others. So thanks very much that you desire to send us out with your proclamation in your name. Amen. So as we're saying goodbye, those of you, any of you that heard a name, if you want to come over here, great. Uh, Be glad to pray with you. Anybody else that wants to help pray, please help. And the rest of us, mix, mingle, and enjoy this beautiful day. Thank you.